Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney, here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla. Today's guest is a friend who pastors the best-known church in town. He preached in chapel this morning as part of our African-American Ministry Emphasis Month. This is his first time on the show, and we are thrilled to have him with us. Before Kristen introduces him, let me remind you that our fall application deadline is quickly approaching. If you or someone you know is thinking about seminary, drop us a line. We would love to get to know you and help you discern the work of God in your life. When you're ready to check us out or begin an application, go to beesondivinity.com admission. All right, Kristen, who is this distinguished guest in the podcast studio with us today? We have with us the Reverend Arthur Price. He is the pastor of 16th Street Baptist Church here in Birmingham. And we're, as Doug said, we're so glad and thrilled that you're our guest today on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, we always like to begin by allowing our guests to introduce themselves uh, more fully. I gave a one-sentence bio, so I wonder if you can expand on that. Who are you? Where are you from? And a little bit about your faith journey, um, as what, how you were led to faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, my name is um, Arthur Price. I'm born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, in the Queen Village area of the city. Um, I've been in Birmingham for 21 years. Um, I've, my faith journey began in a mission church called Light of the World Chapel in Philadelphia. Uh, went there for vacation Bible school, went there for Sunday school, and as I learned about um, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I, w I had a very um, inquisitive mind and I wanted to know more about Jesus Christ. So um, I remember one Wednesday at a Bible study, um, I accepted the Lord as my Savior, got baptized, and um, I've been in Sunday school and I've been um, in church probably since I've been about eight or nine years old. Um, I've, I've I left the mission church and went to Phillips Temple Christian Methodist Church in Philadelphia. Uh, where I learned um, to be a Sunday school teacher. Um, God called me to be a Sunday school teacher there. Um, started out with the primary class and then to um, youth class. Um, did some campus ministry work at Temple University when I was in college um, with um, Tr Bishop Troy Bronner, um, who also um, was very impactful um, on my ministry. And then um, I got called to preach the same year I got married <laughs> in 1990, and um, I pastor Reverend Charles Walker, the 19th Street Baptist Church, licensed me and then later ordained me. Um, I left the um, Philadelphia DA's office in 92 to go to Colgate Rochester Seminary in Rochester, New York. Um, upon completion of my seminarian degree, I came back to Philadelphia, got called to a church in Buffalo, and then from Buffalo, I've been here for the past 21 years. Mm. 21 years at one of the best-known congregations in the world, really, the historic 16th Street Baptist Church. How did you get that ministry role? How, how did you get to 16th Street in the, to begin with? Uh, truly, it was um, an act of God. Um, as, as I stated, I was pastor in Buffalo um, for about three and a half years, uh, doing ministry there, and I was, you know, satisfied being in Buffalo. Um, then I 
then I was told that 16th Street Baptist Church was looking for a pastor. So um, we applied for the for the pastorate of 16th Street Baptist Church along with 300 other applications. Wow. Um, never thought that um, they would call me. So when they called me to come to preach there, um, you know, never been south, so we went to preach. Um, then we made the final three. Um, the church winds up calling another individual to be pastor. That person turned the pastorate down, and then they made the, um, the ask to me, and we accepted it, and we came to Birmingham with a Bible-centric ministry that wanted to reach the lost, the lonely, and the least of these, rebuild those that are broken, battered, and bruised, and reproduce disciples that are developed and could discern the will of God for themselves. And that's been our, that's been our um, vision since we've been here. Mm, beautiful. So from Buffalo to Birmingham, I'm sure there were lots of changes in that move, and uh, it's wonderful that you've been here so long. Uh, this September will mark the 60th anniversary of the bombing of your church, which killed four girls. Um, their names are Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robertson, and Denise McNair. Can you tell our listeners about this event, what led up to it, how it impacted your church then, and how it's still impacting your church and its ministry today? Yeah, um, the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church is probably one of the most unsung events of the civil rights movement. Um, people remember the Children's March of 1963. People remember the March on Washington in 1963. But 18 days after the March on Washington, the 16th Street Baptist Church was bombed in response to Dr. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Now, Dr. King came to Birmingham in um, April of 63 by the bequest of Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, and their objective was to desegregate the parks and the schools in Birmingham. When Dr. King came to Birmingham, he, had, he was met with very little fanfare. He tried to sit-in approach with some lunch counters, didn't garner a whole lot of attention. Um, on, on Good Friday, um, he, Dr. Shuttlesworth, and Ralph Abernathy um, had a march and they were arrested, and King writes his letter from the Birmingham jail there. But while he's in jail in Birmingham, his lieutenants, Andrew Young and some others, um, had the idea of getting the children involved in the movement. They wanted to get the prom kings and the prom queens, the football players, the cheerleaders. They wanted to get them involved in the movement because the adults, many of the adults were apprehensive about joining the movements because it meant, it meant that they would lose their jobs. They were threatened that their jobs would be at stake if they were caught in the movement. So the children wanted to get involved in the movement and they came to the church. The church became the staging ground where they would learn nonviolent tactics on how to do two things, or, or the objective of Dr. King was, two, was twofold once he got on board with the children being involved. The objective was one, to fill up the jails in Birmingham and two, to get what was going on in Birmingham on this new adventure called television. Because in 63, no Snapchat, no Twitter, no Instagram, no Facebook. So he wanted to let the world know that there were two Americas, fill up the jails, get it on TV. Once it got on TV and President Kennedy saw the images coming out of Birmingham, the dogs, the hoses, the billy clubs, he, President Kennedy, who was apprehensive about civil rights, had to do something, sent his brothers down, they broke a deal, and Dr. King's emboldened to do the March on Washington. And it was 18 days after Dr. King marched on Washington, 18 days after he said he had a dream, 
18 days after he said he wants his children not to be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The response in Birmingham was to bomb the 16th Street Baptist Church because that was seen as a place of agitation. So they wanted to bomb the church to kind of derail the movement. On September 15, 1963, it was Youth Sunday. It was Children's Day. And the youth were going to lead in the worship. They were going to lead the singing, the praying, the scripture reading. Um, they were going to lead the worship. So um, the bomb went off at 1022 during the Sunday school hour. Five girls were in the bathroom getting ready to get ready to sing in the choir. Adam A. Collins, Adisa McNair, Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robeson, and Sarah um, Collins also was in the bathroom. And at 1022, bomb goes off. And four to five girls lost their lives. The youngest, Denise McNair, was 11. The other three were 14. There was a rock lodged in her head uh, when the bomb went off. Another of the four little girls' head was decapitated. So you can imagine the, imagine the, um, the chaos, the, the pandemonium, the bedlam that was going on because the church was bombing. These lives were lost because it caused white Birmingham to take introspection. And the introspection was, we may have been against the races congregating together. We may have been against the races going to school together, but we didn't sign up for murder or terrorism, which that was. So there was anger in the streets, but the good news is, is that those leaders turned their anger into advocacy. They galvanized a the generation, they motivated the movement, and they made sure that the four girls' death were not going to be in vain. So they kept on, they kept on advocating until they got the Civil Rights Act passed. They kept on advocating until they got the Voting Rights Act passed, which is the teeth of the Civil Rights Act, and change came about. How that still impacts us today? On a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, year, yearly basis, we get tens of thousands of people that pilgrims to make a pilgrimage to Birmingham to see the place where the children march emanated from and to pay their respects to the four little girls who lost their lives for that movement to make the bitter days of Birmingham so much better. That's got to make your job as pastor pretty exceptional. You have a pastorate that's not a typical pastorate. A lot of pastors are asked to play civic leadership roles, but if you're the pastor of 16th Street Baptist Church, I mean, that's a, a really high expectation, I would imagine. You're right across the street from the Civil Rights Institute. You're right across the street from Kelly Ingram Park, which memorializes the Civil Rights Movement in Birmingham. What's that part of your ministry like? Not many pastors, not many potential students, seminary students listening to this have an easy time imagining what it would be like to be a regular pastor of a real congregation, but play this leadership role in the city as well. How does that go for you? And how have you enjoyed that over the couple of decades you've been here? There's his challenges, but again, I'm a person that kind of accepts challenges. So when I got here, 16th Street Baptist Church was known for being a museum versus being an actual ministry. That when you mentioned 16th Street Baptist Church, people thought that it was an extension of the Civil Rights Institute, that it was just this place that was stuck in history. When we got here, we wanted to make sure that 
the church was not just a museum, but people know it for actual ministry. My challenge to the church was that bars are known for drinking, hospitals are known for sick folk, clubs are known for dancing. What do we want to be known for? And our mission that comes out of our vision is we want to be known for exalting the Savior, evangelizing the sinner, equipping the saint, educating, educating the society. So through the education of society piece, we decided to have a tour ministry that would speak to the needs of the tens of thousands of people who want to experience history. And we said, we welcome you to experience history, but while you experience history, we're gonna tell you about his story. And the his is God and the story is of the grace, mercy, and love of Jesus Christ. So we have retired educators who diligently tell the story, which I just laid out about um, 16th Street involvement in the civil rights movement. But they also talk about the church's um, role in society today and that the reason why the church still stands is because of that grace, mercy, and love of Jesus Christ and that we have an obligation um, to, to tell this story in the context of, of, of history. So, so, so we get tens of thousands of people knocking on the door and they come expecting one thing and we give them something else. Uh, we give them what they want and we give them a little bit more. So we were, we've been able to um, juxtapose um, um, the museum piece and the ministry piece. So we view our tour, the tourism, not as a museum, but we call it the tour ministry. And we get to talk to people from around the country. We get to talk to people from around the globe and we get to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll say this and I'll, and, and, and I'll, and I'll finish with this, is that when we look at this piece of the museum versus ministry, we compare it to John chapter four, when Jesus met the woman at the well. The well was a conversation starter. The museum or the history piece is a conversation starter. I'm able to start a conversation with you about what happened 60 years ago. But now after that conversation, I'm able to tell you why we're able to stay in the test of time. And that's through the love, mercy, and grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, listener, if you go to their website, you'll see in big, bold letters where Jesus Christ is the main attraction, which is really beautiful. Um, as you're saying, some people may go there to think that civil rights is, are the main attraction at your church, but really it's Jesus. And I love this vision with, um, we're not a museum. We have the gospel story of Jesus Christ, and we're going to use this history as a way to tell you about Jesus. So that's beautiful. Um, as Doug mentioned at the beginning, this is African American Ministry Emphasis Month, which we do in conjunction with Black History Month. And you've mentioned a few names already um, in the show of um, people that you've worked with or who influenced you. But I wonder if you can tell our listeners uh, more names or about these people who have been such an influence on you in your ministry, your preaching ministry, who are some of the African-American pastors and preachers we should know about? I'll, I'll start with my Sunday school teacher, Ethel Waters, who um, really challenged me to um, be a student of the Bible. I'll, then I'll go to um, Bishop Troy Bronner, who I met 
at Cog at um, Temple University doing student ministry, um, who wanted me to go deeper in the Bible. I mentioned um, my pastor, Reverend Charles Walker, um, who modeled um, what a preacher is and how to attack the text. And I'll mention Reverend Raymond M. Gordon, um, one of my mentors and my pastor today, um, who modeled to me what a pastor ought to be and how to form ministry. Those have been key influences in my life. Then, you know, Dr. Gardner Taylor's um, preaching has, has impacted my life. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King, dedication has impacted my life. But those individuals I've met that I've met up close and personal really had an impact on my ministry and my life. We're hoping our listeners are going to go and check out the wonderful sermon you preached in chapel this morning. It was on Matthew 13, and the title is When There Are Weeds in the Wheat. Uh, listeners, it was a powerful sermon uh, that would be time very well spent for you to go check out on our YouTube page, uh, Pastor Price's Sermon. And just to persuade them to go to the trouble of checking it out on YouTube, can we give them just a little sneak peek? What, what was your message today uh, in Aja's Chapel? Well, our message today dealt with um, one of the parables of Jesus. And I think you all are dealing with the parables of Jesus this month. And wanted to let people know that parables was one of the prominent forms of Jesus' teaching that Jesus really taught a lot through parables so that people can know um, that this, so he can clear up some some misconceptions about his teaching and so that he could know who was really hanging around him and who was really following him. So this particular parable about the um, weeds and the wheat is one of six parables that's nestled in um, Matthew chapter 13, because Matthew 13 is all about parables. Um, it talks about the parable of the sower of the seed, talks about the parable of the wheat that tares, talks about the mustard seed, talks about the yeast, talks about the, um, the fishnet, the priceless pearl. So 13 chapter of Matthew deals with, deals with parable. But the two parables that he explains is the one about the, uh, the sowing the seed and the wheats and the, and, and the weeds. And the wheats and the weeds lets us know that we've wrestled with this idea of, or this issue of theodicy. And we ask that question of, why does bad things happen to good people? Because the, the, the sower sowed good seeds, but the good seed um, also in that field was some wheat. So instead of the servants wondering who put the weeds there, they wanted to imply that the seed must not have been as good as it was. And there's times when we don't think that when God sows good seed in our lives and we start to see some tears, that God is not as good to us as we thought he should be to us. So what I wanted to convey was is that when we find weeds in our wheat, that we have an encounter with a real enemy, that sometimes there's some servants who are sleeping, but there's going to be a hearty harvest at the end. And once you realize that God has placed you in the midst of an evil field, that we got seed on the inside that's going to sprout up and cause some good to happen in spite of the weeds that are around us. Well, it was a wonderful sermon, as Doug has already said, and we encourage you to go to our YouTube channel at Beeson Divinity, where you can watch uh, his sermon. As we close today, as we always do with uh, these podcast interviews, we want to ask you if there's anything that the Lord has been teaching you recently that you 
uh, could share with us as a word of encouragement to our listeners? Yeah, the, the Lord has been teaching me um, about legacy, um, about leaving something behind for others to build on. My whole goal in ministry is to be a faithful steward of what the Lord has given me and to leave what he has given me better than what I found it. So I'm really on this thing about legacy, not legacy for Arthur Price, but legacy for Jesus Christ. How do we leave the field that God has given us better for generations that come behind us? And um, I've been trying, I'm, 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 I'm at a point in my life right now where I'm trying to process that and think of ways how we can come alongside to make this ministry better for those that come behind us. That's a wonderful way to conclude this episode. We want to thank you, Pastor Price, for being with us today. I want to thank you listeners for tuning in. As we said at the top of the show, you have been listening to the Reverend Arthur Price, Senior Pastor of the 16th Street Baptist Church here in Birmingham, Alabama. We love you and we say goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you.